Welcome to McCullough Christian Center's broadcast today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.purposemcc.com. I really feel led this morning to, to say this. I know we're small in number in here, but there are people that are listening this morning you're listening to us maybe through live stream or ever how you're listening I just feel so impressed this morning of Holy Spirit to tell you to to encourage you wherever you are right now wherever you are get up get up in your living room get up Get up. You're a king. God's called you royalty. God's pulled you out of a mess. He's redeemed your life. You are no longer the person that you used to be. The devil has come to steal from you, to kill and destroy. But God is telling you this morning, and I know that I'm speaking into somebody's living room. I'm speaking into somebody's bedroom this morning. It is time for you to get up. Get up. Recognize who your God is. Recognize who called you out. Recognize that it's not the time for you to sit down, but it's time for you to rise up because the gifting and the calling and the anointing that God has put upon your life is for this hour. It is not for tomorrow. It is not for next week. But it is for right now, says the Lord. And God said, don't fear. Don't worry. Don't be stressed out. But get up. Get up. And realize that I'm telling you today to rise up. Because this is the hour that kings go to battle. Don't be a David. Don't be a David and stay at home and watch something that you don't need to watch. Get up and go to battle. Quit expecting somebody else to fight for you. Rise up. You're a king. God's anointed you. You're a warrior. Rise up. Get your sword. Put on your battle armor and begin to fight because God is on your side. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I can see in I can see in my spirit this morning that there are men and women, young men and young ladies that I can just see in my spirit them standing at a window and looking out the window it's almost they're standing there with a white t-shirt or a white covering on and they're standing there looking at the window looking out the window distraught and distressed but I see them as they're standing there they turn around and they look over into the corner of the room and I see in the corner of that room like on a mannequin a crown a shield a sword in all the armor and I can see in my spirit this morning that those men and women and young men and young ladies are turning away from the window and they're going over and they're picking that armor up piece by piece you're beginning to put it on and I want to tell you this morning that some some are going to say, well, I need my breakthrough. 
Some are going to say, where is my breakthrough? But I feel Holy Spirit saying this morning, I'm not giving a breakthrough. I'm waiting on you to rise up and begin to put your feet in the path that I've called you to go in. Quit looking out the window and begin to put your faith into action. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. This, this is the, this is the, the scripture that I, I had already got the word together that I was going to share with you this morning. And as I was walking through the building, going back to my office, Holy Spirit spoke this to me. And I want to read it to you this morning. It's in Joel chapter 2 beginning with verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priest, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Verse 18, then the Lord, then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and send his people, behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make your reproach among the heathens. But I will, will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive him into a land barren and desolate with his face toward the east sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea. And his stink shall come up and his ill savor shall come up because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. For the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that have dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed, and you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. And then he said, I will pour out my spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So I think what God is saying this morning 
the main emphasis of what I just read, I want you to remember, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify fast and call the solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of the closet. Let the priest, the ministers of the Lord, begin to weep between the porch and the altar. I believe that's what God is saying to us today. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on and lift up your hands one more time and say, Father, we thank you. Thank you that you're calling us. God, we worship you this morning. God, we exalt you today, Father. Thank you, Jesus. So we'll be receiving the offering and giving some announce, announcements here in, in a little bit. I just want to share this morning real briefly this word that uh, I just feel like Holy Spirit uh, would uh, speak to us today. Guys, if you can, there's a roar coming out of the monitors up here if you might can turn them down a little bit. Amen. I want to, I was just reading and studying last week, and uh, you can just go ahead and take your seat. I'm, I'm going to read some scripture here in just a minute. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> the Lord has, has really been, you know, dealing with me. Uh, concerning the the warfare that we're in, and we 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 quote the scriptures a lot. Uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, and all of that. And uh, we don't war against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of evil, and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and. Uh, we use those <clears throat> scriptures a lot uh, to, to describe many times the battles that we're fighting personally, the warfare that we're dealing with personally. And we know that. And, and uh, life is not easy, and especially not easy nowadays with all the stuff that's going on around us. There are many things that are happening to discourage the loss of loved ones, sickness and things such as that uh, the things that uh, transpired this past week over in Afghanistan uh, once again you could just feel uh, a spirit of fear uh, just begin to uh, hover over uh, people as they begin to watch and and uh, see all that stuff take place in Afghanistan and we our hearts break for our fellow Christians over there. Uh, and it's sad. It's, it's such a sad thing to see that. And, and so many lives that are being uh, destroyed over there uh, that we don't even know about. And, and it's a sad thing, but you could just feel uh, a spirit of gloom 
and fear uh, even get tighter over uh, the, the community and over, uh, I believe, the, over the whole nation as, as people saw that and they hear that. And uh, we see that, that uh, things are, are rising, evil is, is rising back up and it causes an unrest in the, in the spirit and the minds of people. We see all these things and we, we hear all the news reports and all of that and, and not to even mention the battles that, that you as an individual are going through right now. Things that are, you're struggling with, things that, that you're battling with. And uh, maybe your home uh, is under an attack. Maybe your wife or your husband is under an attack. Your children even are under an attack. And, and so there's a warfare that's going on. There's a battle uh, that's going on. And so I was thinking about that the other day, and I, I, the Lord just began to kind of do a panoramic uh, scan of, of the Bible and, and begin to show me some things uh, that the war, the warfare that's being waged is not anything new. We know that. We talk about that a lot, but I think sometimes that we fail to realize what is really at the root of the warfare that, that we're fighting. It all began in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve when Satan came in and Adam and Eve gave way and, and partook of the forbidden fruit. That's the first recorded victory by the enemy in the Bible. It's when Satan convinced Eve and Eve convinced Adam that the fruit would be good. And out of that, out of that, now listen, the whole issue of that was this, that the enemy said, did God really say that? Did God really, this is, that's not really what God meant. So it lets us know that the war was between Satan and God. But the only way that Satan could get back at God was he had to go through his creation. And so he began to war against Adam and Eve. As a result of Adam and Eve's transgression in the garden, they were kicked out. Cain and Abel, their sons, were born. Satan once again comes in to try to destroy uh, the righteous seed of man by causing Cain to rise up in jealous rage and kill his brother Abel. As a result of that, Satan didn't stop there. The Bible says that the sons of God came down and cohabitated with the uh, daughters of man. They married. As a result of that, evil began to sweep the world. Uh, demonic power began to sweep the world. And God said, I'm going to destroy the world. And he sent a flood. And out of the flood, God said, I've got a man named Noah that I'm going to use to propagate. Uh, my will and my purpose. Noah gets off the ark with he and his family, his sons and his wives, their wives, they get off the, alt, uh, uh, the ark. The Bible says that Noah wants to try his hand at farming. He becomes a farmer, plants a vineyard, and out of the vineyard he grows some grapes, but he uses the grapes to get drunk on. The Bible says that Noah winds up naked in his tent. His son walks in and disrespects his father. As a result of that, you know the story. Uh, Ham's son, Canaan, was cursed. And sin uh, out of that began to run rampant once again. And out of that, out of that curse, the next thing we see is the Tower of Babel. Man in his evil ways has come together and said we can build this and we can reach heaven where God is. As a result of that, God had to stop that. He caused confusion of the tongues uh, to come and, and man was dispersed across the face of the earth. And out of that, and just bear with me, out of that, Abraham was called out. 
You see, the devil has always tried to stop, tried to interfere, tried to disrupt, tried to scar what God is wanting to do. So Abraham comes up, and God says, I'm going to use him. Uh, he's going to become the father of faith. He's going to be the one that's going to propagate the word throughout the world. And, and God said, I'm going to give Abraham a son. And out of his loins uh, is going to be like the stars of heaven. And so the devil says, well, I've got to do something to stop that. So I'm going to close up Sarah's womb. I'm going to stop her from bearing children. And she'll not be able to bring forth the promise that God gave to Abraham. But the devil don't know that God's got authority over the womb of the woman and God the Bible says that God opened the womb of Sarah and she bore a son and called his name Isaac the devil was hoping that when Isaac was born he could get Abraham up on the on the mountain and that he would slay uh, his only son Isaac but God had another plan God had a ram in the thicket and he said I'm gonna do something else and he said uh, uh, the devil said, Abraham, why don't you go ahead and kill him? But God said, no, I don't want you to kill him. I just brought you up here to show you what I'm about to do. And there was a ram behind the altar over there. Abraham goes over, gets the ram, and sacrifices it on the altar. What is he doing? He's painting a picture to the devil that there's going to be a time when there's going to be a lamb that's going to be sacrificed on the altar for the uh, sin of mankind. You see, the devil has always waged war against the, the purpose and the plan of God. Don't think, ladies and gentlemen, that, that you're going to get to skip through this life and, and sing do da day and do da dee and all of that and get through all of this without a battle because the devil is going to wage war against you. But the devil didn't give up. The Bible says that Isaac had two sons named Jacob and Esau. And the devil saw that once again God was working and God was building uh, and, and God was moving forward with his plan. So what does the devil do? The devil gets between Jacob and Esau. Even to the point that Esau said, I'm going to kill Jacob, my brother. Kind of go back to Cain and Abel. You'll get it later on. The Bible says that, that, uh, that God worked and God moved in the, in the story of Esau and Jacob. They made up, but out of the loins of Jacob, God began to bring about 12 sons. 12, which would be the 12 tribes of Israel. The problem there was that the devil said, I've got to do something because I recognize there is one little boy that was born to Jacob. He loves him more than any of the rest of them. He's got a calling on his life. So I've got to do something to stop it because if I don't stop it, then I won't be able to have control of it. So the Bible says that Joseph was there and Joseph's brothers hated him because God was doing a work through him. As a result of that, they tried to kill Joseph, threw him in a, in a uh, hole. The Ishmaelites came along, pulled him out, took him into Egypt, and, and the devil said, I've got him now. I'll stop what God's doing. Uh, this was a chosen son, but I'm going to stop what God's doing. And he went a little bit further, and Joseph didn't give in to the attacks of the enemy. He kept working, kept believing, and kept trusting that what God said was going to come to pass. And the devil said, I've got to do something else. I've got to shut this boy up. I've got to do something to stop him. And so he sent one who's Potiphar's wife, and she came in and falsely 
they accused Joseph of trying to molest her or rape her. The Bible says that Potiphar got mad and threw Joseph in prison. The devil is having a hand clap and saying, I got him now. I'm about to stop what God was wanting to do. I'm about to stop the plan of God. But what the devil didn't know is that men and women of God flourish in prison. We don't give in to all those things, but Joseph flourished in prison. And God kept using him until there was a day that he stood up in the face of the king and God mightily used him and opened the door and made him the governor over the whole land of Egypt. Can I go on? I'm talking about a war. I'm talking about a battle that's been going on from day one, ladies and gentlemen, and we've got to recognize the warfare that we're in. We go from there. The Bible says that, that uh, the 12 tribes of Israel were, were uh, in Egypt. They stayed in Egypt. And here comes, uh, God said, I'm going to raise up a deliverer. And I'm going to call his name Moses. About the time that God began to uh, raise up Moses, the Bible says that the Pharaoh of Egypt recognized something was going on, that the children of Israel were, were growing too fast. So what does he do? He attacks the, the, the firstborn of all the families. And he goes throughout the land and he starts killing the babies and the firstborn male children. You tell me there is not a demonic attack and there's not a, a devil that is trying to destroy and stop the work of God and the purpose of God that he's got for people. Uh, and, and so uh, the Bible says that uh, as the devil began to try to do that and Pharaoh began to slay all these young men that Moses' mom took him and put him in a little ark. Think about this. Think about this. You might think that you're so close to losing the battle. You might think that you're so close to, to losing this war and, and you don't see a way out. Did you know that at that moment of time, the whole future of the kingdom of God was reliant not upon Moses in a, in a little ark, but up on a woman named Jehoshabed that, that said, I hear the voice of God telling me... Uh, I know this might be crazy, and I know it's never been done before. I know it might sound ludicrous to all my neighbors, but I am not going to allow the world to destroy my child. I'm going to build a little basket, and I'm going to set him. I'm going to release him into the hand of God, and I'm going to put him in the river by the bulrushes, and I'm going to believe that whatever comes his way is going to be the plan and the purpose of God. And at that moment of time, the whole future of the kingdom of God, the whole future of the nation of Israel was floating in a river uh, by in the bulrushes. I might be talking to some of y'all this morning that your whole future... Your whole future for your family and everybody else might be floating in a little little ark, floating in the river, and you don't know what's going to become of it. But I want to tell you today, if you believe God, if you believe God, put it in the river and say, Lord, this is yours, and I'm going to release it to you and see what God will do with it. You know the story. You know the story. The Bible says Moses grew up, left Egypt, went into the wilderness, came back to Egypt, and led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt into the promised land that God called them to. And then we have David. David rises up as, as a king. And I want to tell you something about David. David had a Saul. And I want you to know something this morning, that every David's got a Saul. Every David's got a Saul. And if you don't learn how to handle your Saul, 
you'll never get it to the, to the palace. You didn't get that. You didn't get that. The American church is having trouble with Saul. Because we want to kill everything that stands up against us. We want to shoot everybody that opposes us and all of that. But I want to tell you something. Remember David in the cave. The Bible says David had opportunity. He could have taken Saul out. But he said, I'm not going to put my hand to God's anointed. I, in other words, I'm not going to step into this battle and fight it on my terms. I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave it in the hands of God. I'm going to let God fight my battle. I'm going to listen I'm going to believe that God has anointed me I'm going to I'm going to keep my focus on the day that the prophet Samuel came in the door of the house and called me out of the sheepfold and took a horn of oil and poured it over my head. I'm going to remember that I've been called and anointed by God. I'm not going to allow some outside skirmish to get in my way of what God has called me to do. I'm not going to allow the devil to cause me to kill somebody or something like that and put my hand on God's anointed. Mm. The Bible says that it went from there. And another time in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 24 and verse 1, there's a, there's a, 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 a story there and it says this, Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. But I want to backtrack just a little bit, because remember, we're talking about a war, ladies and gentlemen. And I believe, I had no idea that word that was going to come forth this morning about kings rising up. It's time for kings to go to war. I had no idea that God was going to speak that, but you better, you better write it down in your book. That was a prophetic word to the body of Christ, and we need to heed it. But the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 24 and verse 1 that Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned over the nation of Judah for 40 years. We backtrack just a little bit up into chapter 26. There was turmoil in the royal family. Jehu, the one that had, had been anointed by uh, Elisha or Elijah. Jehu was fulfilling his God purpose and he was destroying the house of Ahab and Jezebel. The Bible says that as a result of this, that there was an uprising within the royal family. This evil queen, I think her name was Athaliah or something, whatever. But, but this evil queen rose up and killed all the royal seed. Listen to me. She killed all the royal seed. She killed all the royal seed, meaning she killed all of those that were royal in the line of Judah, the tribe of Judah. God had said to David, he said, there will always be a king coming out of your line. In other words, let me explain it to you like this, David when you have a baby, he's going to be in a royal bloodline. When he has a baby, that royal bloodline is going to continue. And it's going to continue all the way down to the New Testament. In 2 Chronicles chapter 24, uh, 23, there was one, one baby, 12-month-old baby. That was left. And why was he left? Because a woman recognized and moved by the hand of God took little Joash 
and took him into the temple. <laughs> took him into the temple. Listen. She took him into the temple and hid him there in the temple. How in the world could she hide a one or 12-month-old baby in the temple? Let me tell you this. She could do that because the temple had been ransacked by sin. There was no power, there was no presence in the temple anymore. So nobody came to the temple anymore. Read it, study it. But God, listen, remember we're talking about a war. But God, again, again, the royal bloodline was dependent upon one woman, and I can't remember her name. She was the daughter of Jehoshaphat. One woman that had a little inkling that recognized the evil that was going on. I don't know, maybe she heard the, the whimper of little Josiah. I called him Joash a while ago. Josiah. Maybe she heard the whimper of little Josiah or Joash. I'll get it right in a minute. Too many J.O.'s in that story. I don't know what prompted her. She grabbed this baby up in the middle of, a, of an evil uprising. She grabbed that baby up and ran to the temple. And God protected that baby there for six years. And at the age of seven, the Bible says that Joash began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years in Jerusalem. At the age of seven, you see the enemy had done everything he could through Je uh, uh, Jezebel and Ahab to destroy the seed of God. He tried, they tried to destroy Elijah. They tried to destroy every prophet of God. But there was an Obadiah that hid some prophets of God in caves. There was an Elijah that was bold as a lion and stood up on Mount Carmel and said, this ain't going to happen. There was an Elijah that had gotten ready to give up, said, I can't fight this battle anymore. And the Bible says that he stood in the face of a cave with his cloak wrapped around his face. And God spoke to him and told him, what to do. Listen, what I'm saying is, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't matter where you find yourself at today. Recognize there's a warfare that's going on, but. And so we move on from there, and, and I could go on and on and on. But we get to the first part of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus is born, the Messiah is, is born. And again, just like Pharaoh did in the book of Exodus. Pharaoh recognizing that, that a royal seed was being born and, and, and all of that, so he tried to stop. He didn't even know that he was trying to stop a deliverer. He was just trying to stop the spread of the children of Israel. Herod heard that a king was being born in Bethlehem. So what does he do? He says, I'm going to kill all the firstborn children. And I'm going to stop this king from rising up. It didn't happen. From Genesis all the way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the devil has thrown everything he could at the, at the church, at the kingdom of God, to stop the move of God, but he has yet to stop it. The Bible says Jesus grew up 
Satan tried to tempt him in the wilderness, tried to stop him in the wilderness. That didn't work. He went down to the Garden of Gethsemane, and the devil tried to kill him right there. He tried to stop him before he ever got to the cross. But Jesus prayed the prayer, Father, not my will, but yours be done. God, if you want this cup to pass from me, then take it. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus went out of the garden and walked straight to the cross of Calvary and hung on the cross of Calvary until every breath was gone out of his body and the blood had drained out of his body he was dead hanging on the cross the devil said I finally stopped uh, once and for all the seed of God it has stopped right here on a hill called Golgotha it will never go any further but what the devil did not know is that Jesus was the resurrection and the life the Bible said the Bible says that they took Jesus and put him in a tomb and they and they laid him in a tomb and wrapped him in clothes and all of that and the devil must have been having a party. He's saying probably I've been trying for 4,000 years to stop this and it's all culminated now down into a tomb and, and on, a, on a lonely hill in Jerusalem and I tried to do it and I finally got him in the tomb. He'll never get out now but what he didn't know there was one named Holy Spirit that was hovering around the tomb. There was one named Holy Ghost that was moving around the tomb. And somewhere between day one and day three, Holy Spirit came in. I'm talking about a warfare. But I'm also talking about one who is greater. I'm talking about one who will overcome. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, if the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then that same spirit, that same spirit, that same anointing, that same spirit will also quicken your mortal body. So Jesus rose victorious, came out of the grave. Listen, in Hebrews chapter 11, and man, I struggle with this. I struggle with this whole thing. I said, God, it's not making any sense. We're just going through the... But in Roman, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 13, it says, These all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afore off. Now, now catch this. These are people like Abraham, great men of faith. And the writer of Hebrews says, these all died in faith, but they didn't receive what God had promised them. Church, we have got to realize because so many people in the body of Christ that, that I, I hate to say, but your faith is dependent upon whether or not God pays your electric bill on Monday. Your faith is dependent upon whether or not God does something that you've been praying for him to do. Give me a new car. I need a new job or, or something like that. Or even, God, heal my loved one. Restore my marriage. Listen, I'm not, I want you to understand something. Get, get what I'm saying. There's a war. There's a war. But we're living in, we're in a culture where people have gotten their eyes so focused on what's in front of them that they've lost focus, that God's whole intent from Genesis to Revelation is to get you and I from this earth into the presence of God. 
These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but they saw them afar off, and they were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of the country from where they came out, they might have had an opportunity to, to return. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. I want you to, I want you to notice something. I believe this, that if we will get to the place I want to give you these three words, and I've given, given them to you before, but I'm going to give them to you again. These people died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were persuaded. Everybody say persuaded. persuaded. They were persuaded. What were they persuaded of? They were persuaded that there was something beyond this life. They were persuaded that, that there was something greater beyond this earth. They were persuaded of a place called heaven, I think. And because of their persuasion, they embraced that persuasion. And they confessed it with their mouth. That's what came out of their mouth. They, they talked about it, and they confessed it. Now, here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Here's the thing. I believe that what God is saying is that I want to get my people to the place where you are so heavenly-minded, you are no longer any earthly good. so heavenly minded that I am no longer any earthly good. I don't mean that that gives you an excuse to be a, a slob or don't take a bath, don't use deodorant, something like that, whatever. But I, I think what God is saying is I want to get you so heavenly minded that all this stuff that's going on around you will have no effect. It won't, it won't waver you in your persuasion it won't waver you in what you embrace, but all that will come out of your mouth will be, there's something better. There's something greater. Now listen, and I, I'm fixing to close. Here's the thing. I want to I encourage you today with this, but I want to give you this first. This, this, and, and I'm not even going to call it a message. This thing, this started out this morning with Psalm 91. And in, in Psalm 91, verse 1, how many of you have quoted Psalm 91 this week? It is an, it is an awesome psalm. If you, do, if you do a little background on Psalm 91, actually most, uh, most writers say that Psalm 90 and Psalm 91 was written by Moses. And they were written when he realized that there was going to be 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. He realized that this short journey that was supposed to be a short journey was going to be a long journey. And so he wrote Psalm 91. But I want, I want you to listen because a lot of times we quote Psalm 91 and we talk about the protection and the blessing that God gives us, and that is true. But many times we fail to reap the results of Psalm or the rewards of Psalm 91 because I believe that we fail to catch uh, the first three words of Psalm 91. He that dwelleth. He that dwelleth. You see, where you dwell, 
says much about who you are. Your house, your literal house, says much about who you are. The way you honor your wife or your husband or your children says much about the relationship with God that is on the inside. Psalm 91 and verse 1, he that dwelleth, and that word dwell or dwelleth means he that sits down or he that stakes a claim. One of the, one of the uh, descriptions that I read was that he that stakes a claim and fights off claim jumpers. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And verse 2 says, I will say. The number one psalm says this, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the way of sinners, nor nor sits in the seat of scornful, nor stands in the way of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his, his law doth he meditate day and night, for he shall be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaves also shall not wither. Where you dwell makes all the difference in the outcome of your victory, of your battle. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress and my God. In Him will I trust. Listen, the Lord began to minister to my spirit about, Son, Dwell in the secret place. Dwell in the presence. Don't, don't let things going on around you get you out of my presence. And you say, well, pastor, how in the world can I stay in the presence of God? You learn to fight all claim jumpers that would come into your life that would rob you of the presence of God. Stop allowing worry and stress to come into your life. Stop allowing uh, uh, social media to dictate your thinking. Stop allowing uh, the news media to dictate your thinking. When somebody comes to you and says, you're not going to be able to do this, let them talk to your hand. Let me, let me, let me correct that don't let them feel your hand just say just talk to it and he said surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the pestilence and he'll cover you with his feathers and under his wings you can trust and he said you shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor for the error that flies by day What's he talking about? He's talking about a war, a battle that's going on. Moses is talking about a battle that, that the children of Israel are going to have to experience over a period of 40 years. And, and if you look at that, and if you think about that, ladies and gentlemen, the people, if Moses wrote the Psalm 90 and Psalm 91 at the beginning of the journey through the wilderness, nobody with the exception of two men, Caleb and Joshua, made it far enough on the other side that everybody else didn't make it. Did, 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 you, did you get that? See, because if there was a hundred people going through the wilderness... Moses said, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. 
if he was talking to 100 people at the beginning of their journey, 98 out of that 100 didn't make it through the journey. And, and perhaps they were quoting and posting Psalm 91 on their Facebook page on a daily basis. But they wasn't dwelling. They wasn't dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. The warfare and the battle that we're going through now is not going to get any easier it is going to continue to grow worse and worse and worse. Why? Because the devil is mounting his final assault against the church. It is his desire to stop the body of Christ. The Bible says it in the book of Revelation. It is being fulfilled on a daily, hourly basis. And ladies and gentlemen, you can rebuke all you want to, and you can pray against it all you want to, but the war is real and the battle is real. What you and I need to focus on this morning is where am I going to set my rack of bones down tonight? I'm not going to sit them down in front of the TV and watch some junk that's going to rob me of my peace but I'm going to dwell in the secret place of the most high because I know that when I do that that he will keep me he will shelter me and mm, yes so here's the thing he was talking about a war he was talking about a battle and to them, their battles was this. Moses, we're thirsty. They come to a place called Meribah Mar Mar where the water was. And, and they find out that the water is bitter and they can't drink it. And they begin to grumble and complain. You see, Moses had told them, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High. And I'm on another uh, rabbit trail here, so just hold up. But uh, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High, and they were murmuring and complaining and, and all of that, saying, Moses, why would you do this? And, and all that, and, and all of these, these words coming out of their mouth. And Moses probably was saying, hey, where are you dwelling? Where are you dwelling? And they murmured and complained, but the grace and the mercy of God spoke to Moses and said, Moses, go get a, a, a limb off of a tree and throw it in the water. And the waters were made sweet. You see, that was the battles that they were having to deal with. Their battles was when they doubted God. And when, when God didn't do what they wanted him to do, then they began to come against Moses and Aaron. See, that was the battles that they were fighting. And Moses had given them this declaration of Psalm 91 and said, Beware this. Beware what, where you sit. Beware. Watch where you sit. Dwell in the secret place of the Most High. You see, because the war, the battle is going on. And if the enemy can pick off one at a time, that's good. Or if he can pick off a whole group, at one time that's even better but we're in a war ladies and gentlemen we're in a battle and some of you are fighting some things right now and you don't know what the outcome is going to be some of you have been dealing with some issues that you don't know what the outcome is going to be and perhaps today you feel like giving up you feel like you're not going to be able to overcome but can I tell you something this morning This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Oh, I wish I knew the rest of it. If I did, I would sing that right now. You see, when the enemy thinks that the battle is over, when the enemy thinks, and even some Christians thinks, not going to make it. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, and I'm fixing to close. 
The Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, one of the most awesome passages of Scripture anywhere in the Bible. He said, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong, listen, that book with, that was sealed with the seven seals is the future of the world. It is the rest of the story. And he said, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? <laughs> He's got the whole world in his hand. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got you and me, sister, in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. The Bible says at this moment in history and in time, the Bible says who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven and no man on earth and no man under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. But if you go back to the book of Philippians, the Bible says that the Father has exalted the Son and given Him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of things in heaven, of things on earth, and of things under the earth. Perhaps John, the revelator, had had for a moment forgotten about what that said. Because John in verse 4 says, I wept much because there was no man found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. Can you imagine the emotions of that moment in time that John is sitting there and seeing that the entire future of the world uh, has now been put on hold because nobody, nobody can be found that's worthy to open the book. But if you look way back, about 4,000 years, and I'm having trouble stopping you understand. If you look way back about 4,000 years ago, there was a prophetic word that came in the book of Genesis right after the fall of Adam and Eve. And God said this, I'm going to raise up a seed and he's going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, the devil had been trying everything he could to stop that prophetic word and to shut down the word of God because he knew that his head was going to be crushed and he knew that there was nothing that he could do to stop it. But that's because that's the reason for the war. And listen, John is weeping. He is crying, and the Bible says that one of the elders said to him, Weep not, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Listen, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Remember Joash? little 12-month-old baby. Remember that? The lion of the tribe of Judah. He was the only one left in the line of Judah. <laughs> the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David. Remember David? <laughs> I 
I'm not going to put my hands on something that God says keep your hands off of. I'm not going to fight my own battle. God's going to fight this battle for me. Out of all of those victories, out of all that, those trials, and out of all those victories that were wrought about over the thousands of years, it comes down to Revelation chapter 5 that John is weeping and saying, God, nobody's worthy to open the book. Everything was for naught. We reached this point, and there's no hope for anything else. But an elder stands up and says, John, you don't have to cry, son. He said, because there's one. His name is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He has prevailed. He is the root of David. He has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders, I love this, stood a lamb as it had been slain. having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. There's a warfare, ladies and gentlemen. There's a battle. Why is there a battle? Because the enemy wants to stop what God is wanting to do through you as an individual and through us as a body of believers. Recognize that. Don't get discouraged by the things that you're going through, but recognize there's a greater cause. There's a greater call, and there's a greater cause than just what we're experiencing here on this earth.